Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Learning Design podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, the place to get up-to-the-minute information for cutting-edge learning design. Today we have with us Rio McBride. Rio is an experienced instructional designer and teacher for over 20 years. He's worked internationally in the United Arab Emirates and in several well-known institutions across the U.S., Currently, he is employed at Full Sail University. Graham and I are delighted to have you on the show, Rio. Welcome. Well, thank you, Joanna. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here. So, Rio, perhaps the best place to begin is for you to maybe explain just a little bit more about your background and particularly the kind of involvement that you've had in virtual learning in the past. I've been teaching for over 20 years. I got my doctorate back in uh, 2005, deciding what I wanted to do with my doctorate. I mean, what, what doctorate to go into? I thought, what, I love technology, and so I thought, let me do instructional design technology or instructional psychology and technology. That's what it was in. And because I love using technology when I teach. I've been uh, uh, an instructional technologist where at a community college before where actually I wore several hats, blackboard administrator, distance learning administrator, uh, instructional technologist <laughs> all at the same time, where actually I, I taught uh, faculty how to bring their courses from the classroom, brick and mortar classroom into a virtual environment, uh, distance learning. And, uh, and I, I had to teach them that you cannot teach a virtual classroom the same way you do a traditional classroom. And I had to teach them the, the correct pedagogy with that. Um, and it goes on like that. So let's stick with that idea, if we can, Rio, because a lot of people listening into the podcast are probably very much involved in that migration process just now, moving from the classroom into virtual. And as you say, it's not that easy, is it? That there's a world of difference between the classroom and the virtual classroom. In your experience, what are some of those key differences? Well, in the brick and mortar classroom, you have the uh, students can see the see the instructors, see the smile on the instructor's face, or turn on the instructor's face for them, and so on and so forth. But you can't really do that in a virtual classroom as such. We won't always be in front of our instructor. But so what you do, you have to craft your, your, your lecture as such into, I call it chunking, into, into six-minute bits, if you, if you will. Anything over six minutes, you're going to lose, uh, lose the learner. Uh, the, the, the ability to retain past six minutes remarkably goes downhill and so with with that I, I, with my lectures that I do I mean we, we meet with uh, our students once a week uh, online through zoom and I get them to do the talking between each other as well not just to hear me you know you know uh, uh, talking to them all the time but I get them to talk to each other online at the same time and then what videos I create for them, I keep those videos under six minutes so where it, it doesn't cause a cognitive overload for them. And if, as, long as, I, I, if I, as long as I put that into six minutes per video or less, mind you, 
then I'm okay. And the students are okay, which is a big difference compared to the traditional classroom because there's this continual discussion, talking back and forth, sharing ideas because you're in the same room with them. But when you're not, you got to do things a little bit differently. So, Rio, what's the magic behind the six-minute increment that you talk about there? You talk about that as a rule of thumb, but why so? Well, I guess it's based on the research that's been, been done with it. It shows that uh, when uh, students tend to lose about 50% ability to, to retain after six minutes, it's, it's, it's the attention span. And uh, that's, that's the rule right there. Uh, because if you want them to retain what you're saying, uh, what is being taught, keep it at six or below. But after that though, uh, the research shows that it goes down about maybe 50%, <laughs> which is not good. <laughs> so, break, so break it up uh, as such. Now other departments who had brick and mortar classrooms, they had to quite literally overnight switch from a, switch from traditional classroom to uh, to the online environment and it was different for them now they had, they had already had material online but now their lectures had to go online as well so i'd like to follow up on some of those ideas rio sure. as you think about how you've helped others and how you work in your own classroom what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you face when you think about virtual training and virtual learning? Chunking would be one of them, those six minute chunks, but what other considerations do you put into how you design those virtual classrooms? Some of the challenges, uh, other challenges concerned is getting the students to talk to each other. When in the traditional classroom, we have students talking to each other, discussions, etc. Well, we I employ the use of discussion boards online, but I also have the students record each other. They make video recordings to each other, responding back and forth to each other, not just typing it out, okay, which is okay, but that's gonna be kind of boring. We're teaching this, um, our month six course, which is called Digital Media and Learning Applications, where we have them discuss the multimodality modes of audio, visual, and interactive media. Well, instead of writing out their discussion boards to each other and responses back and forth to each other, we actually have them record audio back and forth to each other and then record video back and forth to each other where they can see each other talking directly to their peers. Now, that brings a lot of engagement in, uh, more so than just, oh, okay, here's a, I've got to read this paragraph written to me by one of my colleagues or, or one of my fellow students, but to get to see them on, 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 uh, on the screen or hear their voice in an audio recording, that makes all the difference in the world. I really like that as an idea for engagement. What else do you do to engage your students um, and to help them engage with each other? Well, during our, our weekly Zoom meetings, instead of, um, I introduced the topic at the time, but then I turned the time over to my students to have them discuss with each other, present ideas back and forth to each other. That way they're not hearing from me all the time. And they don't want to hear from me all the time. I don't want them to hear from me all the time. I want them to be able to hear from each other. Is there a pedagogical um, underpinning to that? Is that a, an application of um, some kind of theory? It sounds like that you're 
asking them to synthesize information and then reteach and that that might have some uh, pedagogical basis. I wish I could quote it to you right now, but I can't, but I do know this. I'd rather have them synthesize and summarize their information uh, and what they're learning. And when they can share it to e with each other, they're actually teaching it to each other. And if you can teach it to each other, you'll remember it more and you'll retain it more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like, uh, and I was struggling with the theory connection myself. So that's why I was asking if you <laughs> might uh, have that connection, but it seems like Dylan and Noe uh, used to write on this topic of each one teach one. And that's a way to uh, encourage uh, engagement. And I think that that's a element that is missing in a lot of virtual classrooms is this idea of reteaching the topic. Right. Mm -hmm. But if they can do it verbally to each other, they tend to listen to each other more so sometimes than they do the professor. Mm hmm. You know, I mean, so there, I become the guide on the side, if you will. I, I prefer that. There's some times when I have to start out as sage on the stage, okay? But then turn it over to them where I become guide on the side. And when I do that, I get greater results from them, mm -hmm. greater retention. And it shows in the papers. It shows in their work that they do. It shows up in the projects that they're doing. Um, and it's far better than my – than making them listen to me for a, a, a one hour lecture live, which is what, which is, you know, death by zoom, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It used to be death by PowerPoint. Now it's death by zoom. Right. Right. So it's really interesting. I, I, I want to dig into this at a, another level. Full Sail is well known as a for-profit um, application driven institution. Talk to me a little bit about what you're doing in your virtual classrooms that makes it so applicable on the job. We base what we do on what's happening uh, out in the industry. We will go out and research, for example, uh, job applications uh, for instructional designers and see what's being asked for, et cetera. And we will, and also we have uh, uh, committees that will help us, uh, you know, out, committees who are made up of individuals in the field who are outside of the university, you know, uh, as advisory committees, if you will, they're called program advisory committees as such. And it helps us keep, keeps us in line with what's happening in, in the industry. We don't have quiz, we don't have tests or quizzes other than I, I, I quiz them on what, on the reading, just to make sure that they've done readings. Okay. Uh, but mainly what they do is where they work on projects that they would be working on in the industry. This goes into a portfolio for them and they have they keep a mastery journal as well and, and they create a portfolio at the end of the program where they can share that their work with uh, prospective employers. It'll show the employers but also give our learners the, the foundation that they need by showing them having them work on these projects mm -hmm. based on what is happening out in the industry. I love that. Real-world tasks to apply the classroom knowledge makes it come alive for students. It does. really innovative. It truly does because uh, she has got a, a job now working, working for the military uh, as an instructional designer uh, and is based on projects that she worked on in our program. And, uh, and it gave her... The experience. In fact, when she came in, we just thought, okay, we're just going to let her run with what she knows what she's doing here and, and help her uh, give her the theoretical background, et cetera. 
and but the projects are all based on what she would be doing in the industry and that's what we do and so instead of students having to turn in a resume saying not only this is what I can do, but let me show you what I've done so that I uh, would give you an indication of what I'll be able to do for your company. That's great. I love it. So as you think about what we've been going through for the last couple of months, what do you think is the outlook for virtual training in the next couple of years? I think we're going to see more virtual training uh, happening, more universities. This is my opinion. One, it's, I, I find it to be less expensive. What I like working from home right now is that I don't have to drive into the office. I'm saving gas. I mean, I mean, that, sounds, that may sound silly, but it's a reality. I can teach from home. As a, as a, as a student, a student doesn't have to travel into the, the class. A full sale university, we are a it's, you know, media production, et cetera. So there's some things that have to be done on campus. Um, in fact, they've, they've recently opened up certain labs have to be have to happen on campus, uh, especially for those students who are seniors who, who must take certain labs. And so they're being very careful about that following CDC guidelines, et cetera. For the most part though, we're going to see, in my opinion, more universities uh, going online, offering courses online. I recently wrote a recommendation and the university is all online. I mean, how cool is so he'll be getting his doctorate online. He's got his, his uh, doctoral committee. He has to go through all the, I mean, all the same rigorousness of it is there. It's just that you're not meeting in a brick and mortar classroom. That's really interesting. Um, as we see more online programs developing, how do we know which ones are the good ones? Um, this idea of a rush to put everything online due to COVID-19 has me really concerned that the quality is not uh, being built in up front. They want to do something and they feel the need to get it up there. When do we go back and, and circle back and look at the quality of what their online classes should look like? That's a good concern. In my mind, what you have to go back to is look at the courses that are being offered look at the mission statements that are being offered. The, the mission statements, the uh, course learning outcomes uh, that are being offered, program learning outcomes, if you will, and see how they match up against the standards of what's out there in the industry. Again, going out there, looking at the uh, uh, job descriptions, et cetera, see what's being asked for. How well do those program learning outcomes and course learning outcomes compare against what is being asked for uh, out there in, in the industry. And also, is it based on good pedagogy? Is it based on good theory? Do they have that background? Do they have that foundation as such? That's what needs to be looked at and comparing and looking at the quality of these courses that are suddenly being populated out there. I want to go back to M. David Merrill's uh, First Principles of Instruction where you know there's activation, demonstration, application, integration. Are these being used to help develop the course, the courses out there? Him, David Merrill would always teach, they always say, if it doesn't teach, don't call it instruction. Call it information, <laughs> but don't call it instruction. We wanna make sure our students are not just receiving information, but are they actually being instructed? Are they, is teaching actually taking place with them? And so it's these things 
that will be able to, that will help us make sure that the quality of the programs we're choosing are actually good, not just information being put out there. So in conclusion, Rio, if you could give the listeners maybe just two or three nuggets, things based on your experience that you think are really good pieces of advice to bear in mind when you are rapidly migrating something from a traditional classroom into virtual, what would those couple of ideas be? Well, what I have found is this by relying on the first principles of instruction and uh, what you know, the looking at activation, administration, application, integration, all of these, uh, stating what the problem is and then building around that using these first principles of instruction. Instructional designers will be able to create instruction that is engaging and enthralling, if you will, uh, for their students keeping them, uh, being able to help them to retain, not just give them information, but relying on these principles to bring about true instruction. And when you bring about true instruction, not just information, but instruction, teaching, then they'll be able to teach each other and help each other through those rough spots, if you will. And uh, how do you, by Jonathan Irwin, he said this, uh, as we decrease uncertainty, we give ourselves permission to increase fidelity. So you increase that fidelity by applying the first principles of instruction. No matter how quickly, and even if you have to do it quickly, you can still do that and still and apply the ADDI process as well, but relying on those first principles of instruction. Thanks so much, Rio. We appreciate you joining us today. You have been listening listening to the Leaders in Learning podcast by Blue Consulting and Resourcing, a weekly podcast for cutting-edge learning design. 